0: one
1: hello everybody welcome again to another podcast i will never get tired of welcoming you to an episode because i have this big smile on my face every single time I, that i do it um before we get started into this episode i wanted to remind you one more time to make sure you put your email on our www.flippingthebarrel.com website there's a place there for you to put it so that you can stay up to date with everything f2b i mean we have so much going on and you do not want to miss any of our updates so if you haven't done that yet please do so to get started into today's episode we have a very special guest her name is evelyn vilchez and she's a general manager of chevron energy in mexico since march of 2017. In this role, she promotes Chevron's key stakeholder relationship in Mexico to help advance the country's hydrocarbon sector and Chevron's interests there. With more than 30 years of experience in the oil and gas industry, she has held several positions from commercial commercial business development and strategic planning uh, with Chevron in several countries like Venezuela, Angola, and the United States. She graduated from Tulane University with a bachelor degree in science, in computer science, sorry, in 1986. So we are beyond happy to have you on here today, Evelyn, to share your story. And, you know, thank you for saying yes to our invitation.
2: No, thank you so much. Thank you to Flipping Barrel for the invitation. Thank you, Maciel. Thank you, Jamie. It's really an honor to be here and, uh, It's going to be fun and it's going to be a first experience for me. So, thank you for having me.
1: We're glad that this is your first podcast. (laughs) Yes. um, So, Evelyn, tell us a little bit about growing up. You are from a small town in Venezuela called Machiques, which is close to Maracaibo. I think that's where most people know of Venezuela. And it's, you know, Maracaibo is known as, you know, the oil capital of Venezuela. That's where a lot of companies are, that's where a lot of people go work. But how you know you actually grew up not necessarily in, in an oil field com- uh, family uh, but you because your parents actually owned cattle and a ranch business and that's kind of like you w- the area that you grew up in a lot of outdoors and cattle business nothing to do with oil and gas so can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and kind of what was life like growing up in Venezuela
2: Well um it was wonderful to to grow up in Venezuela um, I was blessed to, uh, uh, be the older daughter of, um, uh, in my family, uh, of three daughters, uh, a wonderful, uh, father and mother. And, um, we really grew up as a, uh, out, very outdoorsy, uh, very, um, um, open in terms of, um. You know, talking to to people and uh uh grew up like uh in growing up in a re, in a small town um uh, made made it feel like a like a huge family. So we knew everybody. We we knew the 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 butcher. We knew the the teachers. We we knew everybody. So and everybody knew my family. Um, it was it was uh all about communicating and talking to everybody and letting and helping people so it was very
1: different from now with uh, cell phones and
2: social media Mm -hmm. we don't even know our
1: neighbors you don't even talk to the neighbors
2: (laughs) no nothing like that we played a lot outside uh road horses i went uh to school in my bike um it was very safe so being a small town it was very safe it was a different venezuela so it was uh, the the Venezuela of the 1970s everything was uh, about progress and there was a uh, well-established security so no issues no security issues so we were a lot a lot outside and um, having fun and uh, just being kids so that was great.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about growing up in the country in a generation where women weren't really pushed to study engineering let alone join the oil field and you mentioned when we spoke that most women and men had very distinguished roles out in society and at the home so that was one thing that was very common um and you ended up going into engineering so how did you overcome that mentality and pursue a career in engineering when first you came from the small town was very homey very like you said like you rode your bike to school everybody knew everybody to then you know, becoming where you are today and studying engineering, like what, there had to be some hurdles that you had to overcome in order to to really feel that you had that confidence to do that.
2: Yeah, so um, I didn't plan to study engineering. I wanted to study architecture, but uh, there was not a, a, a private architecture school in Venezuela. And um, so uh, my dad talked me into, uh, well, What else can you study that can help you maybe get um, close to architecture? So uh, I started studying in Venezuela. I never thought I was going to study abroad. So I started studying civil engineering because that's what I thought um, I was, It was going to get me closer to architecture. And then um, in my first, first semester I struggled with my English class. So Mm -hmm. my dad um, uh, was getting uh, three treatments for his arthritis in New Orleans. And he said, well, why don't you come to New Orleans, study English in that university that I know, and that will help you with your English. You spend the summer there uh, and then you come back so that you can do better in your English class. So I came to Tulane, ESL, English as a Second Language. I studied English there. And um, by the end of the summer, I had not finished the course. So I convinced my dad to let me finish the English training. And I I was going to stay the fall semester to complete my English training. And then during that fall, I passed the TOEFL. I passed the Michigan. I passed the SAT. Uh, And I registered in the School of Architecture in Tulane. So I went back home. Everybody was um, uh, ready to welcome me back to Venezuela. And we had a party. We had Christmas. We had New Year's. And then after, uh, like, January 2nd, I told my dad and my mom, hey, we need to talk.
0: Um,
2: I registered. Uh, in Tulane in the architecture school that's what I want to do I want to go to school there so um, my mom started crying and fighting and telling me that I was crazy um, I was 17 years old Wow. and, uh, um, and you know we, we didn't have anybody in Louisiana so um, it was uh, for, for my mom, it was a crazy idea. Um, I talked to my dad more in detail. My dad was more like objective. And he said, okay, what is it that you want to do? So I explained the plan. I I told him, you know, I had a, a dorm reserve. That's what I wanted to leave. Uh, we talked about cost. It was a yeah. a lot more expensive than studying in Venezuela. So. He said, okay, let's give it a try. It will be hard for us from the financial perspective, but let's give it a try. So I came back to Louisiana uh, and started my semester. And in that semester, I took Computers 101. Mm. And um, when taking that class, um, I decided that that's what I wanted to be. I was Mm -hmm. sure. A seventeen years old uh, <laughs> a person that I wanted to be a computer's engineering, so I switched to computer's okay. engineering in my second semester, and that's what I graduated uh, from. So uh, I I have a, a bachelor degree in computer's engineering that really I never put to use, but
0: <laughs> I completed
2: I completed my degree.
1: Wow. I I think it just shows how life has a weird way of working out sometimes, because, you know, when you were in Venezuela, since there wasn't any architecture, you went into civil engineering, which was the closest thing. Then your dad just happened to have to go to the States. You go along, you you finally have a university where you can study architecture and then you switch into, you know, computer science. what advice do you have because this happens quite a bit to a lot of young people where they they think that this is what they want to do for the rest of their life and then they go into a few semesters and they realize i I don't want to do this Mm -hmm. and then you switch but at the time when you're switching and trying to figure out you feel like Like not, not that it's the end of the world, but like you're wasting so much time when you see your friends who are just finishing their degrees and they're going into their profession. And then there's, you know, those other students that are just like, gosh, I don't know where to go. I don't know what I want to do with my life until you kind of figure it out. What advice do you have for those, maybe even your own children, you know, that, that are going to go through college?
2: Yeah. So, um, this is the advice that I give to my, to my kids and to, to my younger um, mentees, um, Life always change. And um, we we always have a a mindset, but uh, we need to be ready to change. We need to be ready to adapt. And we need to prepare for for those changes. So I thought I was going to be a computer engineer and probably be programming for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy studying computers and um, at the time it was all these big mainframes big rooms and uh, a lot of coding machine coding and all of that and I started working uh, in Venezuela uh, in a small um, group of companies and I worked as a programmer I think for maybe three months and then mm-hmm. I the, the work started taking me to a more business side and
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know I I just took the opportunity and and went ahead and started working on what was needed and I didn't I, I, I was not programming anymore. I was uh, uh, doing a lot of business development for mm. uh, uh, conglomerate, of uh, agricultural uh, equipment sales, so mm. um, it's what was needed for the work, and and I just adopted uh, mm. a, a growing mindset and and started learning in at the work, at work. Yeah, let's talk a
0: little bit more about that because after you graduated, you went back to Venezuela, and as you said, you went to the financial world. Um, you know, working for this equipment company, and you were doing very well with no intentions to really go into oil and gas. You're having a lot of success, you were in your 20s. And then in 1997, the country actually opened up to IOCs to come in. Uh, And that's when you decided to change roles and apply to Chevron, which is very different than anything that you had done in your past or even had, you know, thought of. Um, What made you decide to make the switch of industries? And You know a lot of people have this perception of oil and gas it's a negative what were what were your feelings at that time in 1997 when these IOCs came was what was the perception
2: of oil and gas then so um in 1996 started the apertura petrolera that was the name of the process of opening in Venezuela and um all sort of international IOCs and smaller companies came back to the country to start uh, partnering with uh, PDVSA, the national oil company, um, to uh, uh, help develop the oil and gas industry uh, in in Venezuela. So um, it was a a, a big opportunity. Uh, Venezuela was producing I don't remember the exact amount of barrels, but uh, the target or the objective was to duplicate that production. So um, it was a a huge opportunity for for companies and uh, it was a a big opportunity for people to get, you know, different jobs and start working for international companies. So I I, I was working um, at a financial investment group at the time. Uh, it was a small um, group that invested uh, with a technical partner and with the uh, petrochemical side of the National Oil Company as uh, partners in joint ventures to um, develop petrochemical projects. Uh, so I was doing all the uh, investors' uh, relations and uh, all the um, financing for those projects. Um, and and it was very interesting uh, job, but I was uh, reaching a, a ceiling mm-hmm. for growth. Um, so I saw um, uh, moving to oil and gas as a, an opportunity to grow and to learn. And and I took my chances and I applied and um, won uh, a job uh, with Chevron uh, in 1997,
0: and did wow. you have any like perceived like notions of what who
2: Chevron was, or did you know anything about them? Yeah, I, I I remember. I remember my, uh, my my in one of my interviews. I mean, the the interview process was a uh, uh, of course uh, complex, uh, long. Uh, we had a set of probably three or four interviews and i remember in one in in one of the first interviews um i um i was asked what do you know about chevron i said well i know chevron is that company that has the triangles uh, that's that's what i knew and then um uh, another guy um asked me what do you know about oil i said well i don't really know a lot about about oil i know venezuela is a big producer of oil is the main industry in Venezuela. I know oil is black. Yeah. And I know it's used to produce gasoline and, and all the refined products. I knew more about the refined products than, than oil mm-hmm. per se. Um, so um, that was funny because after I was hired, I, I got a, a, a car and a set of samples of oil from from um this engineer that said uh it it was like litter uh containers of liquid and it mm-hmm. had green, clear brown red black liquid on it and then he said not all oil is black. That's I love <laughs> that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. How but awesome. I I did I didn't know much about oil when I started in mm-hmm. to- I think that's very common for a lot
1: of us, unless their family, you know, had been in oil or like second, third generation of oil and gas. I mean, mm-hmm. Jamie and I didn't know anything about oil either. Like, I probably didn't even know the color, to be honest. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a little bit about that journey once you started with Chevron. You know, let's talk about the importance of sacrifices and also just how you react to challenges when they're thrown at you, um, because you had a big challenge thrown at you on your first day when you first got to the office you had just had a baby and you walked into the office and you said hey i'm here like this is my first day and they kind of looked at you and they said uh this is not your office you know you're in the caracas office not in maracaibo which is another city and you at that moment i mean tell us a little bit about kind of what happened you called your husband and you thought that, you know, this is it. I mean, I can't go. It's in another city. I mean, just, you know, how do you, how, do you, how did you handle that? And tell us a little bit about that day.
2: Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. After all those three or four interviews, um, yeah. we, <laughs> I went to my first day at, 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 at the job in Maracaibo. And that happened. Uh, I got there. I see my boss. Good morning. And then um, she said what are you doing here? I said, well, it's my first day in the world. You know, it's my first day. I'm waiting for HR to tell me where, you know, I'm going to be sitting and my office and all of that. And then she said, you're waiting for HR. Hold on just a second. She came back and she said, oh oh my God, Evelyn, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, I don't think anybody told you uh, the job that uh, we're offering is not here, it's in Caracas. So, you know, I I wanted to cry, but I didn't cry there. I said, Oh my God, my baby is three months old. So um, I I cannot, I I didn't know anybody in Caracas and cannot move. So I said, Okay, um, um, I I cannot move to Caracas. So I went back home. Um, I was crying all the way because. Mm. uh, I, it was like a change I wasn't expecting, and then like all the changes. And then I um, got home and, and called my husband and said, hey, um, the job is in Caracas. And nobody had told me. Um, so said, he said, so you don't want the job? I said, no, I want the job, but it's in Caracas. How how am I going to do that? And so, he came home and he said, "So, if you want the job, can you talk to um, somebody to see, you know, are they going to help you move to Caracas? Or uh, what are the things that? Um, uh, how how can we make it work? I will take care of Jorge with the help of your mom." And if you can come on over on the weekends and um, I think we can make it work, let's give it a try. So he he told me, go back, talk to your boss and see see how you can make it work. So the next day I went uh, to the office, talked to my supervisor and um, we got to an agreement. I was going to travel to Caracas from Monday through Thursday. Um, stayed uh, at a hotel that was by the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chevron was going to uh, pay for that. And um, I was gonna come back to Maracaibo uh, on Thursday and, and stay there for the weekend. So um, that, that was uh, the plan for a year. So um, we did it. I, I started traveling to Caracas um, with a lot of remorse because I was leaving, you know, my kid and my husband uh, in a different city for four days. Uh, it was a different time, no FaceTime, mm-hmm. no no teams, no uh, capability to, to have video conference. So uh, even though I missed a lot of firsts for Jorge, I never saw his first teeth come out. I never saw his first goggling of, you know, saying mom or dad or whatever word he said. Um, I missed it, but I got the second and I got yeah. a good second or a good third. And uh, the time I got to spend with him over the weekends uh, made up for for the time I missed during the week. Um, I, I cannot ever say how uh, important was that conversation with my husband, getting his support, not only on supporting me to go do what I wanted to do, but also on agreeing to, you know, taking care of the responsibility of, you know, what was supposed to be, you know, the mom's responsibility to Mm -hmm. take care of the kid. Uh, and, And, you know, between him and my mom, um they they cover for me while I was uh working and and you know uh, earning a position in, in Chevron so um we didn't do that for for the whole year uh the project and and the, the business position moved to Maracaibo uh, nine months later so um I moved back to Maracaibo the position moved back to Maracaibo And I started working with Chairman in Maracaibo then. So what
0: I think is so important about this part in your journey is that you went back and you yourself thought, there's no way I can do this. But your husband was your mentor, your supporter in this moment. And he was like, we can make this work. And then come to find out it wasn't even a year. It was only nine months and you were able to come back to your city, which I think a lot of times we, when we get these opportunities, we are not patient enough and we think, oh my God, it's going to be a year. I need to quit. I can't do it. And let alone you continue to do it. You have the support and it was a shorter time frame than you had thought in the beginning. What advice can you give to those who um, have that kind of quick reaction? Because there's a lot of us that just are like, I can't do it. And then, they're, and then they don't have that mentor or sponsor or somebody to give them that advice to hold back. You know, is there any, anything that you have learned through that time that you could
2: share? Yeah. So um, I, I think it's really important that um, um, you take time to make your decisions and don't make them on, on your own. So it was my husband who helped me make the decision. And, you know, it was a decision that we were going to give it a try. If there would have been any issue and he wouldn't have been able to take care of Jorge or, you know, our own relationship would have been bad, then, you know, I would have made the decision to go back early and quit Chevron Mm -hmm. and find another job. But we made it work. And also Chevron was very flexible, and if Jorge was sick, I could, uh, you know, that week not go to Caracas and stay in Maracaibo, or uh, also, um, you know, um, Pede Pedevesa, who was my main stakeholder, uh, also had offices in Maracaibo, and there were things that I could work with Pedevesa in Maracaibo. So. Um, Sometimes we arrange for meetings to happen in Maracaibo on Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday and Thursday, and my stay in Caracas was, was uh, shorter. Um, um, it, it takes two to tango, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's, that was a, a first uh, call from Chevron for me to make a decision that I needed to change to adapt to what Chevron needed, but also Chevron has been flexible from mm-hmm. the get go. Um, and, um, and also helped me with, with the flexibility to, to be able to, to, to do the work, to learn, to, to ad- adjust, and, and, you know, uh, thrive, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in difficult times. So, um, There is always a a saying in in my family that says, the river has two shores. So make sure you look at both shores when you're making a decision. So there is always two perspectives, two things.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So make sure you include uh, all the perspectives when you're Mm. making a a decision. And uh, another advice that I can give you is, don't don't look only at the challenge when you are posed with a uh, an That's opportunity. Just mm-hmm. you know, look at the rewards that that uh, opportunity can bring you to. Mm-hmm. It's always trade offs, right? I love I that. Mm-hmm. that.
1: So, actually, tell us about another kind of. Situation that happened where you probably had to use some of this advice and kind of look at the opportunity and the advantages and you know pros and cons. So in 2003, you got your first international assignment, um, which you were very excited about because you know now it's time to leave Venezuela, go somewhere else, and expand your knowledge. But right when you got that opportunity to move overseas, you found out that you were pregnant with your second child. And you remember saying, I can't take this assignment. I mean, I'm pregnant. There's no way that the company is going to be okay with still offering me this opportunity because I'm gonna be on maternity leave. So you felt that the second that the company would find out that you were pregnant, that maybe they would say, you know what, Never mind. we're gonna not do this international assignment. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what happened next and why were you feeling that way where because you were going to have another baby, you felt like you weren't
2: deserving of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, in, in, in Venezuela, uh, the, the, um, the law is uh, favors a really, really long maternity leave. Um, I mean, it's great. Um, I think it's six months, but it could be even up to nine months. Uh, because uh, you can add vacation time and and some uh, pay leave time uh, to it so um, there, there was I don't know if there is uh, the same uh, law in Venezuela but there was this uh, the companies were always against you know promoting or helping uh, professionals female professionals you know to to grow, if they were pregnant, mm-hmm. because they knew that it, they were going to be absent for a long time, and all of that. So it's like a preconceived uh, idea that I had in my mind. So I get this opportunity to go overseas, I, I posted for a job, I, I earned the post. Um, uh, it was a very competitive uh, thing. and. Um, I find out that I that I'm pregnant. So in my mind, it wasn't fair, you know, to take the position and knowing that I was going to be away um, for for at least six months because I would carry my my Venezuelan payroll policies. So I go back to my boss. It was a a, a Cuban. Uh, expat in Venezuela. And I go back to my boss and said, Yeah, boss, um, I'm very happy uh, about the opportunity. But I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. So I said, what? Uh, And then I said, Well, I'm pregnant. And then he looked at me. And he said, So in Venezuela, you're pregnant, you're not going to work anymore. I said, no, I'm going to work, of course. But, you know, there is the maternity leave and all of that. I said, oh, come on. Um, that's not an issue. You, that will be okay. I mean, you'll take your time and um, we'll be supportive. And then he said, and then you're going to Houston. You'll have a gringa there. So that's fine. <laughs>
0: oh, man. What a response. I love it.
2: Yeah, so um, so I took uh, uh, I I took his his word for that and uh, accepted the job and um, it was a, a a great opportunity and an even bigger challenge <laughs> for all of us because my husband uh, was a rancher he mm-hmm. he had a cattle rancher mm-hmm. you cannot move that business. <laughs> Yeah. So um, um, he said, um, "How long is this going to be?" So it was a three years uh, job, an offer for three years. So I said, "Oh no, it's only going to be three years. We'll be back in 2006." And and he said, "Okay, um, I can travel, right? So I can go back and forth uh, between uh, Machiques and and Houston." Mm-hmm. And um, I'll, I'll I'll get some uh, blackberries. That's what the technology was at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll get some uh, video uh, with uh, the person that I will leave in charge of the ranch and and the pharmacy. He used to have a veterinary pharmacy in Venezuela, so um, so we took off. We moved to Houston and. The plan was for him to travel, you know, every three months for a month and uh come back, you know, do the business between Manchiques and Houston. Um that's uh also coincided with the time when things started to get difficult bad in Venezuela mm-hmm. from, from a political perspective. The economy started to decline. Um that was after the uh big uh, PDVSA, um, um, how do you call that? When they stopped working? Mm, um, Like strike? Like strike. Mm -hmm. And um, the the government uh, started imposing uh, more restrictions for businesses and all of that. So um, after a year of going back and forth, um, and after you know, I had Camila and uh, everything. I, I was learning my new role mm-hmm. um, in global gas. I was I was learning about LNG and liquefied natural gas uh, markets and and you know a total new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Sue said, um, I. I, I don't think I want to go back so often anymore. So she started um, thinking on um, ways to digitalize the business and um, so he could go less often mm-hmm. to the ranch. And um, after three years, I got another role in <laughs> in in Houston. And um another after that in Angola and another after that with Trinidad and Venezuela, but traveling and and Brazil, but traveling from Houston, mm-hmm. not not as a as a resident. So um uh after you know like eight or ten years, uh he decided to sell sell the ranch and and switch uh jobs. And started uh, his own business here in the United States. So, um,
1: talk about with that, the timing and luck. Yeah. a little bit of luck in there because without knowing where the country was headed, he supported you from the beginning without knowing yes. that Chevron was yes. going to be your way out. So it's it's rewarding that he bet on the right thing, yeah.
2: which was support you early on. And, yes. Yeah, so that's that's a great story. Yes, all the time. I mean, I mean, he's been supported um, all the time, and um, I'm really fully appreciative of that all the time. When I when I was here uh, when we first moved, um, and and after the pregnancy, I got sick uh, of um, uh, gastritis uh, because of stress. I, I, the remorse of you know moving him from his world
0: mm-hmm.
2: to just uh, uh, getting getting him out of his world to uh, to just uh, come accompany me chase this uh, uh, opportunity uh, created so much a sense of false remorse because he was mm-hmm. happy he was supportive he wanted uh, for us to be successful here so uh, but but it's just you know what it was and mm-hmm. I created as uh, you know some sort of thing in my stomach that I I mm. I, I couldn't eat a lot But right?
0: yeah the stress of, all that of is in the past
2: that. yeah all yeah. that is in the past and and you know we we we've been in Houston on and off from from different assignments for 19 years now wow so we are Evelyn, tell us about
1: your current role now so like i mentioned in your bio you are the country manager of chevron in mexico still based in houston but you represent mexico in chevron um you got this role in march of 2017 which i think you know now we're in 2022 the the Things have changed. I think there's a lot more females leading businesses. It's it's more known. I think in 2017, I mean, there was a lot of change, but I don't think it was as pushy as it is now. You know, Mexico is a very difficult country um, because of just, you know, what they call machistas and the old school where, you know, women still stay home or women, you know, definitely are mm-hmm. running businesses here. How was that when they told you, like, hey, you're going to be the face of Chevron in Mexico and you're going to be the, you know, the manager, the country manager? How did you feel about that? Was there a little bit of resistance on your end, knowing that you were going to go lead this company in such a country? And then kind of how has it been? Do you, Was it very accepting from the beginning or do you think it's, you know, it's it's it took it a little bit of years for it to change?
2: Um yeah uh, Mexico has a reputation for uh it's it's a cultural thing right so but it's not very different than uh, any anywhere else in Latin America or any uh, other countries uh, like in 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 Africa or um, you know so um I grew up like that so I grew up like uh you know i'm um I'm a girl, so I was supposed to be uh, uh, a housewife and a mom, not a professional. A professional was always like, "Yeah, maybe like a plus." Mm-hmm. Por si acaso mm-hmm. is what uh, uh, my dad my dad told me once. Yeah, it's okay. You can study uh, computer engineering por si acaso. So por si acaso means just in case, and. Just in case he had a plan that I was gonna be, you know, a, a, a housewife and a mom. And then, but por si acaso, that didn't happen like that. It was okay to have a degree, but uh, uh, it was not the common thing. And mm-hmm. in Mexico, uh, the, the culture has been like that always. Uh, so uh, the, the, there are very clever, bright, professional women, and there are very bright and good uh, women leaderships, not too many though. And um, I think it has um, uh, to do with with you know the way we are raised in in Latin America. We are raised to to support the men. We are raised to uh, uh, be submissive. To to, you know, to a hierarchical uh, man-led uh, organization. So um, it's changing slowly and women are daring more and women in Mexico are daring more. I haven't seen any uh, real machismo within my group of work. Um, I, I also happen to be the president of AMEXI Amexi is the association of oil and gas uh, companies in Mexico. So um, a lot of uh, men-led uh, companies are members of Amexi, and you know it's a it's it's a very high-level professional group, and I haven't felt any um, machismo mm-hmm. through it, <laughs> uh, uh, but. It's also probably, um, um, I'm trained to to deal the same with uh, uh, females or males, or it's all about, you know, building the relationships, building the uh, trust based on your performance and how you deal with the issues and how you, Um, do your job. So Mm -hmm. if you are a good performer and you um, do the right things at work, then you earn the trust of everybody, females and males, and then you can lead them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's also um, about, you know, understanding and knowing who you're working with and respect the way they work. So um, yeah, uh, uh, there are not so many female leaders in Mexico, but I don't think uh, there are not so many female leaders anywhere in the world in the oil and gas industry either. Mm. So I don't think it's about Mexico. Um, I think there is a history of um, male leadership in the oil and gas industry that is changing. I have seen a lot of, um, uh, females, um, uh, growing up, growing to be, uh, better leaders in different organizations. There is a lot of room for growth. Um, uh, I, I want to see more female, uh,
0: mm.
2: stepping up and taking leadership roles. I want to see more men advocating for the females, um, uh, uh, mentees or for the, the females that work for them. Um, it's very hard because um, we all have biases and uh, it's very hard to um, change a mindset that has been with you for such a long time. Um, I'm working with different uh, uh Groups um, in in Houston and in Mexico to promote females, you know, to to be to get ready to move up, to get ready to lead, to to make sure that they understand themselves, that their knowledge that they have, their um, experience that they have had, makes them uh, capable of leading big groups or small yeah. groups so it's it's about I, I don't think it's about um mexico i don't think it's about the oil and gas industry i think it's about history culture i mm-hmm. yeah and very important we need to make it happen we need to push for it um and it, it will not happen in a snap. Uh, we'll need to prepare and we'll need to work for it. So it takes time. That, that was beautifully said um, and 100%
0: true on every front. Uh, and we really, really appreciate you coming on everyone today to tell us your story, your journey, how you overcome it and your advice too. I mean, this ending advice is just like, exactly what we need and on not just our space, but just every industry across, um, you know, the sector. Uh, And we just are really, really grateful to have you on and have you share that with our listeners. Um, And thank you so much, Evelyn, for everything that you're doing and supporting women and men in the industry. So thank you.
2: My my pleasure. Um, I don't know if we have come up to the end of the interview. That sounded like uh, uh, we're ready for you to, close. So uh, I, I just want to say once again, thank you uh, to to you for, for the invitation. Um, I'm really honored to be here. I don't think I had ever had uh, an opportunity to be heard by so many people and so many people that I don't know because I know that flipping the barrel, um, it's a uh, continuous growing and a lot of people uh, continue uh, listening to the podcast. So thank you for listening to us. And um, thank you for, for the opportunity to, to share my experience. Um, um, I, I, everything I said is my life. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone